Well, hello, my let's keep it real people. I was thinking this week about one of the main reasons I love doing podcasts. And the big thing for me is I love sharing people's stories. I love hearing all about the journey. And something I remind myself every single day is to listen with open ears and not judgment. Also, don't be sitting there waiting to have your response. Like just really, really listen to them and learn from them. And it's something I want to achieve every single time I do a podcast, but it's not easy. All right, you're already formulating ideas and thoughts in your belief systems. So before I do every podcast now, I write down, inspire, open heart, listen, no judgment. And it's brought a whole new way for me to do the interviews. I don't know about you, but I really believe the more we just listen and learn from others, whether we have the same opinion or not, you may not agree with them, ah, it would just be such a beautiful world. My next guest was something very new to me. She's a lawyer, which I love this, who advocates for farm animals. I did not realize how poorly farm animals are treated and there aren't that many laws protecting them. Domestic animals, yes. So that was really gut-wrenching for me, especially since I eat everything. I enjoy everything. Yes, I eat a ton of vegetables, but I also do eat animals. But I didn't want to be blinded to what's going on out there because then I can't change things or how I do things. Sharon, who is a vegan herself, her big mission is to help these farm animals as far as her work, but personally, maybe just have Meatless Monday. And I thought that was awesome how she was spreading her word and her message. I can't wait for you to hear what she has to say. It'll make things just a wee bit different, I hope, for you in how you eat and what you eat and your gratitude for everything that you put in your body. Rate, share, enjoy, support us on Patreon. We really appreciate it. This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston, your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life, and as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. Take a deep breath in, my Let's Keep It Real people. We are going to have a good time today with my friend Sharon in New York City. I can't wait to hear all about it. As we're recording today, it's actually, I don't know, we might have got about 19, 20 inches of snow here in the suburbs of Philly, but I know New York City got hit hard, so I can't wait to hear about all the fun Sharon's having in the snow. But before we get to that, I want to tell you a little bit about Sharon and why I really wanted to have her on the phone. So, Let's back up a few months. We were chatting in a group that I love, Flobel, and also Women Who Lunch, and Sharon Discravana was on there. 
And I instantly loved her story and her passion. And what drew me in is what she did with animals. Not that she hasn't done a lot of other stuff, but I have five cats and a dog and I didn't want five cats, but I'm a, I'm a, I can't help. I'm a bleeding heart. So when Sharon said, oh, this is what I do for animals. This is, I'm like, we got to get this woman on. So here she is way more than I even realized. Sharon is a New York-based, told you, writer and animal protection attorney. Come on, doesn't get better than that. Currently serving as chief of staff for the organization Animal Outlook that concentrates its efforts on behalf of farm animals. Oh, I wish I could hug her. Through undercover investigations, litigation, and public and corporate outreach. Go Sharon, go Sharon. She's also a member of the New York City Bar Association's Committees on Animal Law. Mm, I'm getting pitter-patters. And on mindfulness and well-being in the law. Ah, both things. She's got me right there. Now you know why I had to have her on. Sharon also is a... Oh, here we go. It's just getting better and better. Sharon is also a certified yoga instructor, former CEO, Lyric Yoga and Wellness in Tuscan, Arizona, and now serves as founder and CEO of National Parks Yoga. Now, I did not know all that before I brought her on, which organizes local programs as well as luxury retreats that give people opportunities to recharge, we all need that, while also reconnecting with nature and wildlife. She is co-creator of the website letterstopushkin.com, an ongoing project for over a decade now that has reached out around the globe that is a free resource of support for those grieving the loss of a companion animal. Sharon, I am so happy I'm having you on. How are you? Hey, thank you so much for having me today. I'm so excited to be able to chat with you today. And um, yeah, enjoying a winter wonderland here in New York. Um, and uh, just really appreciating the time to uh, to chat with you and, and talk about uh, some of the things that are the closest to my heart. All right. So first things first, before we started recording the show, you said that everyone is out and about with their families in the snow and that you love the fact that not unlike me, you don't have to shovel. Is that true? There's no shoveling going on. Yes. Well, let me say this. Um, we're spoiled here in New York um, as far as grownups go, a lot of us, because um, you know, I live in a great neighborhood. Um, I live up by Columbia University, but I also live in a great building. And so our staff, our building staff is like family and they are the mm. ones who really shoulder that. So yes, I don't have to drive. My car is in fact in a garage, safely tucked <laughs> away. Um, but um, in terms of, of the shoveling and salting and all that stuff that has to go on, um, certainly, um, you know, the, the, the men who are part of our staff are really taking care of us and, and making sure that we're all safe um, to move around in the city. So uh, we're just in the park. Um, you know, families are out there Aww. with their kids with sleds. And um, right now I do not have any companion animals, but I have plenty in the building who refer to me as Aunt Sharon. Um, no way. I still, I, still have the, uh, I still have a treat jar on my counter, which they all know about. So if they pass by my door, I get the nose punch that they want to come in and get a treat. Um, and I have st a standing date uh, ever since COVID started with one of my friends in the building. And, uh, you know, of course, we mask and we distance, but um, she's um, an older woman. And it's in fact, she's in her 70s. And it's her first dog, Iris, in her life. 
And um, we've just enjoyed ladies time once a week in the mornings for off leash time across the street in Riverside Park. And um, Iris was having the time of her life yesterday running around in the snow during off leash time. It was really great to see um, with all her with all her canine friends. So, um, you know, I, of course, I thanked her for getting me out into the park yesterday because it's just yeah. it's lovely to see. It's like a slice of heaven. Is, and, and it's not freezing here where we are it's like it's cold but it's not like okay two degrees you know what i mean so i don't mind being out i bundle up and that christmas in the air it just has like this sense of hope or winter wonderland right absolutely yeah and when it's it's the perfect snow day it's like powder snow it's not i don't know about philly but it's not icy or slushy here yeah. And it's hovering right at that where it needs to be to to have snow in like 30 degrees, 31, yeah. 32. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, my husband and I were in the Catskills this past weekend oh. um, and it was one degree. Yeah, that's <laughs> and cold. Therefore, unless I'm in a place like Jackson, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, one degree is not, I'm, I'm not on the ski slopes when it's that cold out. <laughs> yeah. So, but it was the great excuse to just cozy up by the fire with a, with a good book and, um, you know, just kind of chill and, and just enjoy that peacefulness, um, but the warmth <laughs> inside. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but um, but yeah, it's just, it's it's wonderful. And it's not brutally cold outside, you're right, which, yeah. and not windy, which makes a big difference. All right, well, Sharon, there is so many areas of your life that I have more questions than this segment would take, but we're gonna do our best. Before you come on, I always ask my listeners to send in questions once they know your profile. So we got tons of those. We'll see how many you can get in. But before we get off, what is the one word you would say, the best word to describe how you have felt the past 30 days? The past 30 days with so yeah. much change. Um any word doesn't matter what it is oh, good bad ugly um gratitude grateful um i really am grateful hopeful yes um with everything that's going on but i'm i'm grateful for the opportunities i'm grateful to witness so much good out in the world that's happening Ooh. um i'm grateful for that i'm grateful to bear witness to that and be able to be a part of it you know however which way i can i'm especially grateful to the younger generations right now whether it's my 14 year old nephew or friends um children who you know also i i'm in sharon to a few of those even though not technically their aunt and so watching them grow up a lot of them are in college right now or they're mm -hmm. college age and to be able to to see how they're processing everything that's been happening, particularly in the last year, on multiple fronts, and yeah. and handling, you know, they've had great challenges even with the pandemic about, you know, what does college look like? It's so different for them, and to see that it's it's their spirits are still good, you know, and they're still and they're hopeful, which makes me hopeful. Um, so yes. I'm I'm really grateful for all of those those people and that energy in my life. Um, uh, you know, and the energy I'm getting from people, you know, people and then like Iris and, and the non-humans, um, because that's really what, what fuels me and keeps me going. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you started off with all the good going on in the world, because there is tons of good, but sometimes we can get lost in the muddle when we listen and home in on the news too much, just a little too much, because it can really play on our fear, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that, you know, even in my work as an animal protection attorney, 
And I do a lot more legislation than litigation, but um, you know, I'm certainly involved in that. And th and that's very hard. You know, it's hard to look at. It's hard to to really digest. Um, yeah. And that's one of my you know my main things that I always talk about. And I think that I've had a lot of practice over the decade with that. And a lot of people have really had to come to grips with that, particularly in the last year with all the competing headlines and the disastrous things happening. Um, you know, media is really another kind of diet. It's what we take in, yes. you know? And so, you know, uh, when COVID started, I started taking off um, on the weekends. And generally I would try to stay off the computer and stuff on Sundays, but I really got to the point where I was like, I, you know, this is gonna get very overwhelming very quickly, you know, if I don't try to, um, you know, kind of somehow ameliorate that situation. So, you know, uh, when people ask me, even in the animal work, how how can you not get burnt out? Or how do you not let it get to you or get depressed? Yeah. Um, and burnout is a real thing, I think, with any form of advocacy that you can do if you don't get Absolutely. into self-care. But with the animal stuff, it really is, you know, people do some pretty horrific things. And, you know, I always say, though, for all of that, I think about all of the people who are doing good and, and my friends and colleagues out there who I know are, you know, making those phone calls every day or, you know, working at their state legislations or, you know, on Capitol Hill, you know, um, people are out there doing the work. And if you stay focused on that, you really can still stay hopeful and positive because for as much as there may be out there that's really concerning, there is so much, there's so much good going on. Yes. Um, you know, even with um, in the inauguration, way back when my first career, um, I was, you know, I taught literature. So I taught literature to uh, teens and, and college age. And to see, not only to hear a young person's poem, right, Amanda Gorman's yeah. poem, yeah. Um, and this sparkling, you know, she came out in this, you know, shining yellow jacket and just, you know, was this beacon of hope, you know, she, it was a vision of hope. Um, and then to hear her words, but then to see the response by everyone to a poem, which let's face it, a lot of times people don't regard poetry as the most accessible thing. And to me, that was really like, oh, wow, look, like people are ready. People are on fire and they are ready yep. to take on whatever they can find. We have learned COVID, one of the silver linings, we talk about silver linings, and that is not in any way to reduce the suffering that's gone on. But this one of the silver linings has been that we have all gotten a year long lesson in looking for silver linings. Yes, absolutely. And and so people are, you know, they'll take it, you know, wherever they can find it. And um, so seeing the response to her poem was really, and I, you know, in the Super Bowl, she's going to be doing a poem at the Super Bowl. I mean, that's that's uh, that's a that's telling about where we're at. I think as a country and our capacity to really yes. make positive change right now. Yeah, and I think many people, no matter who they were and what side they're on, were touched by her poem. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 All right, so you don't know this about me, but anyone who is even slightly close to me knows I'm in love with cows. I don't know why. I never grew up on a farm. I love With cows. Them. Yeah, I love cows. <laughs> I had the opportunity to actually hug a cow a couple months ago Aww. because the dairy princess from this area I was friends with and they, they were bringing it outside of a Paoli hardware store 
just to get donations, you know, for people that needed milk products. And so hmm. I got to hug a cow. I was so excited. It was like one of my best things ever. I'm thinking, <laughs> oh my God, I love this cow. I don't know why. And in my town in Berwyn, in the suburbs, for coincidentally, they have these two fake, you know, plastic cows, mama and baby, and they move it, which I think is ingenious, Sharon, to a business every week and put it outside that local business to say, highlight this business. Isn't that crazy? It's nothing to do with the cows, but it just draws your attention. <laughs> and then you see, you're like, oh, okay, I should get takeout from here. And I love whoever started it. I don't know, but it's ingenious. So. Do you do any work with cows and protecting yes, their rights? You do? Absolutely. Um, so interesting. Uh, you know, a lot of people, farm animals are, are, are impacted the greatest and in terms of treatment. You know, there's billions of animals, literally, um, it, you know, farm animals um, for food. Um, you know, a lot of times when people hear animal protection attorney, immediately they think dogs and cats. And I certainly do work for companion animals all the time. But in terms of the numbers, um, you know, being able to be a voice for farm animals is a great privilege for me. Mm. Um, and it's, and it, you know, I started out, um, you know, working at Animal Outlook. I started with Animal Outlook. Uh, it was my first legal internship in Washington, D.C. when I was a law student. Oh. Um, so it's like this beautiful journey. Um, and, uh, so, you know, working again for them is really a privilege. Cows, you know, it's so funny. I have two have hugged a cow. Um, her name was Fanny. Um, <laughs> of course. And I, I love her. I, and I was really privileged to meet Fanny, especially because, um, my husband is kind of a side project, um, had co-produced a short film for Farm Sanctuary, which is in Watkins Glen, New York, and they also oh. have a location in California. And so in that particular short film that Steve O was the host of, um, which has now been translated into multiple languages and millions and millions of viewers, um, but um, they, they highlighted three animals and it's called What Came Before. And it's their story about how they got to the sanctuary. And oh. Fanny was the cow. Fanny was the cow. So oh. I, I got to meet her when we went to Watkins Glen. I, you know, cows are, you know, amazing. Um, farm animals in general, you know, pigs also behave a lot like um, dogs and puppies. They love belly rubs. If you get them in that just that right spot, the leg will go nuts. You know how like a dog will yeah. kind of like all of a sudden, yeah, pigs will do the same thing. But you know the the cows are very um, they're very peaceful and just to be they're so massive, right? When you go up to them, how did you feel when you were you know hugging a cow, right? There's this big cow, yeah, and they look at you different, right? Because even their eyes are different, so they're looking at you differently than like a dog would, absolutely, um, or a cat. Um, but there's this, there's still. I think, again, if we're paying attention, we can feel that sense of connection with them. Absolutely. I felt, as soon as I was near the cow, I felt peaceful. I did. I just felt really at peace. There was no, like, you know, oh, you're scared, whatever. I just had the biggest smile on my face. <laughs> now, it could be also I was dying to, you know, hug a cow, but it was just the greatest feeling. And, and I love when I was reading that about... You know, here you are, you know, trying to protect the farm animals, which I love. So I have a question here, and I want to make sure we get to it. This young man said, 
He's not a vegetarian. He eats meat, but he wants to make sure he's eating the right meat. Is there a way to tell, okay, these animals really were well taken care of versus the other? Because he saw some big, I don't know what it is. I can't read it here, but documentary about how pigs were taken care of specifically and it made him not want to eat pork. I don't know if you know what he's talking about. Um, well, you know, there have been numerous documentaries and so I'm not sure which one exactly he saw. Um, Animal Outlook is one of the organizations that really has been noted for the undercover investigations that go in. Yeah. Um, it's a complicated, you know, it's a complicated issue. Um, because, uh, one of the things that's interesting about farm animals that most people don't know, um, and you know, I'm going to keep this brief, but they actually don't have a lot of laws protecting them. Um, they're exempt from basically state by mm. state. We have anti-cruelty statutes that protect dogs and cats and farm animals. A lot of times are explicitly exempt from any of those protections. Um, and then, um, there are exemptions in, in, in other ways. So there really are very few things that, um, say, you know, how they, how they need to be treated. Oh. Um, on a regulatory, on a regulatory note, there are certain labels or titles such as grass fed beef that actually do mean something. Like if, if you see something like that, basically that has to be true. It is what you think. There are other, there are other labels um, that are, they put them like on, you know, egg cartons and there's, yes. there's no way to them. It's, and, and that's why a lot of times you get into lawsuits that have more to do with consumer protection and false advertising. Um, because people are just misled into paying a lot more for something that is comes from the same, um, you know, hen house yeah, um, yeah. where the conditions aren't any good. But because they put a little picture of a happy cow or a little picture of a little barn and a chicken with some grass, you know, all of a sudden people will pay twice as much. They're duped Absolutely. into paying twice as much. Um, so, you know, I encourage people, I mean... Even from an environmental standpoint, I think we're seeing now, even with COVID and climate crisis, um, you know, meat consumption, part of the reason why factory farms exist is because it has to keep up with the demand. So the reality is, is at the very least, you know, working to reduce your consumption. I, I ask people, usually I will say, if you can, why not give Meatless Monday a try? See how that goes. Um, and, you know, that's a way to start, you know, if the whole world reduced its meat consumption by one seventh, which would be one day a week, it would go a lot of, uh, it would go a long way towards treatment of animals, but also the environment as well as public health and, and unfortunately exploitation of human workers on factory farms. Um, so there, there are a lot of reasons why I, I think it's every little step counts. And that's my main thing. Like I would say to the person that just asked this question, the main thing is, you know, start out, do what you can. Every choice matters. Every day matters. Every meal matters. You know, one choice, you know, every time you have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich instead of a ham sandwich, well, that's a pig that you didn't have on your sandwich, you know, so that that counts. Okay. And those little things add up. Mm -hmm. All right. So I'm all about the meatless Monday, but it, there so there really isn't back to when you are purchasing if they're not a vegetarian and they are going to eat meat, there's no sure way of saying, okay, I think they were well treated. I like, it's not because it's organic. You know, people say, oh, I'm eating a happy chicken. You know what I mean? They were well taken care. Is there any right. way to say, okay, they weren't mistreated? Is there any there, packaging or anything? 
there are so there are there are certainly things um organic i want to clarify so organic generally people are like well i buy organic organic has a lot more to do with at least from a, lo- a legal standpoint has more to do with like pesticides yes and things that are used so really there's not a lot of animal welfare that goes into the organic, organic. yep um and that's that's a that's a misconception people yeah, have that's what i thought unfortunately. yeah um and and that is unfortunate in terms of labeling certainly certainly you know the bottom line is you know if you're avoiding the factory farmed meat um you know then you're saying okay so i know that people you know i you know for full transparency i'm vegan um and you know i encourage people to do whatever they can um and i encourage people to do meatless monday and i say when you get comfortable i'd love for you to incorporate a second day of the week and just take it a step at a time and get to the point it's not all or nothing you know so basically if there's if you know do what you can and then you know go from there but i you know i do want to be clear that that you know that that is my stance you know like yeah. We want to we want to still be working towards that. You know, I, we have time, you know, we can take you time if that's what needs to happen. But that's where we need to go. But um, certainly, yes, there are there are things um, that are going to be uh, better. Uh, you know, I know some people buy, you know, eggs from, uh, you know, backyard chickens. Backyard yep. chickens are not perfect and they have problems. And, and again, this isn't illegal. You know, this is a lecture I could give at Columbia University down the street. <laughs> But I would say, yeah. but I would say to you, I will applaud you along the way with all these incremental changes that you are trying to make to ensure yeah. that animals are, are treated better. And the, and the laws, you know, right now, you know, hopefully over time also catching up with that um, to ensure better treatment. Yeah. I mean, I do have friends that <laughs> they moved actually out more to the country in Pennsylvania so they could have their own cows. Yeah. And, ma- and make sure that they're really treated well and happy and milk cows. But also they were saying, hey, listen, if you're going to eat meat, would you like to buy one of these cows? I don't know how. I mean, I, I get that you would rather them all be vegan and two meatless days. But how do you feel about that? Like someone saying, hey, listen, I only have two cows in my backyard. And hey, I want my friends to have this you know, meat versus somewhere else where I know they were well kept and friendly with my kids and all that. Mm -hmm. And I've also, you know, I've certainly had conversations with family farmers and things like that, you know, and they talk about their connection with their animals and stuff. And, you know, so the question is at the end of the day, it's like, well, um, but ultimately you, you did eat that Yes. Yeah. You know, like, so, um, you know, and that cow has an interest in his or her own life, you know, like where she's like, well, I don't want to be on somebody's plate. <laughs> um, so, you know, um, and, you know, and so that's where I'm coming from. And, and, you know, to be clear, like, so, you know, Animal Outlook is really as an organization, we're speaking, you know, I'm speaking as an individual right now um, and, you know, giving you my real stories from my personal yeah. life. But, you know, Animal Outlook, like this is what they are about, you know, as an organization. So I just want to make clear that, you know, I'm speaking on behalf of myself right now. Right. So, yeah. So, you know, you know, basically I have family members, you know, who are not vegan, you know. So, you know, this is a reality that if you are vegan, you deal with your friends and your closest family are not. And, you know, we encourage them. But, you know, that's a reality. So, you know, 
I understand everybody, you know, has their comfort levels and their positions about, you know, what they're comfortable with. Um, I just had a discussion yesterday um, with my husband works uh, for Facebook and he was saying that there was a period of time where uh, he told me Mark Zuckerberg decided he was going to, I think it was for a year, he decided he was only going to eat what he himself would kill. Uh, whoa, that's yeah. commitment. That's that was commitment. commitment. And I think he no longer does Oof. it, but he felt like. Uh, he, he, I think he, and I haven't read this article, but this was literally just came up last night and, um, gotta get that. He, he, uh, ate less of it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, um, you know, so that's an interesting, right. That's an interesting, there's a dissociation, unfortunately, that we have with food, um, where, especially if you're getting say like chicken cutlets, it's very easy to forget that that was an animal, you know, that was a living thing that disconnect. And even in, in language we use, right? We call, we don't call them chickens. We call it poultry. We, we don't call them pigs. We call them pork. We don't call them cows. We call them beef. Um, and there are subtle differences, but they're important ones. Um, and so the more that we can, the more that we can identify with that, um, you know, I think that there's, I, I think that the more educated people are, I think that people want to make better choices and, and even things like, just becoming aware of the treatment, recognizing that what's on your plate was an animal and you care about how that animal was treated, that's a step in the right direction that we all need to take. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny because I have a few friends that do work on farms and they love animals, but none of them are vegetarian or vegan. And But they have a mm-hmm. different relationship with the animals. Like yeah. they're very grateful for the animal. They feel very blessed for the animal. And I asked them, I, I, I was curious a few months ago, I go, you were just hugging and friends with Sally. How do you feel that, you know what I mean? Then you're going to eat Sally. And she said, you know, Sandy, I am so grateful for these animals. And she absolutely adores and loves animals. But my whole family, we feel this is, they have a different bet on it. They feel like this is why they're here and we feel blessed and we take care of them. And I'm thinking, I don't know if I could eat Sally. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was close friends. Or they they raise sheep, they raise pigs, and yeah. they go, you know what she said to me, Sandy? I know they're well kept. I know they're well taken care of. I know they've had a good life, and that makes me feel way better than how I see these animals treated. So right. Right. I, I get it, you know? But on the other hand, I'd say most of my world, my friends are not vegetarian or vegan, but they want to do the right thing. So they're trying to figure out, like, I think it's a great idea to say, you know, have meatless Monday or another day. And how can you replace it and have minimal meat? You know, I, I love that concept for them. But on in addition to that, I think they'd want to get involved, Sharon. I don't What can they do to help ensure that animals on the farm are treated better? Is there anything they can do? Well, there's there's all kinds of, you know, laws and privacy issues. You know, one of the things that's happening even on factory farms um, and, you know, state to state, we have what we call these ag gag laws, you know, where the they don't want uh, anyone to know what's going on on those farms. And so even in undercover investigations, um, you know, they can get into a lot of trouble when they go in there and, um, you know, they become employees and they're taking these undercover photos and seeing stuff. Um, there isn't transparency. And, and so I feel like as, as a culture, as a global culture, we're moving in the direction of greater and greater transparency in so many ways, 
And this is one of them, you know, um, you know, people care about animals, people care even more about the food they're putting into their own bodies. And so they want to know what's happening. Um, You know, so there was just um, uh, a move this past week where um, there was a big push to get the speed lines um, faster and faster to process chickens just because there's so many every day. And it really was um, not only detrimental to the birds who sometimes weren't completely stunned and and they were suffering greatly, um, all kinds of injuries, um, but for the workers, there were injuries. And then they weren't, it wasn't clean. You know, there were many issues. There were many issues. And um, and that just got, you know, uh, slammed down. So that's not going to happen. The USDA said no. Um, and so these are the things that, you know, we need to think about, we need to push, everyone needs to push for greater transparency gotcha. and then, and then make, and then make decisions based on, you know, what you see. Uh, my one thing, you know, I always want to be careful. I just want to be careful when people start talking about, you know, well, the animals are treated well, or, you know, like whatever, um, is not to get to a point of complacency. They may, they're treated better, but. They're not always treated so great or even the backyard chickens. You know, one of the first things I worked on were abuses going on in a hatchery. So the hatchery ah. is where those chicks come from that get to the backyards. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So, you you know, you keep asking questions, you know, go back further and just, you know, um, just kind of asking yourself, you know, okay, so that's, that piece is good. And that piece yeah. does look better. But what about this, you know, so gotcha. Uh, yeah. By the way, just so you know, one of my neighbors has, <laughs> I just saw it the other day, a pot belly pig that he walks down the street. Oh my goodness. On a leash. Oh my, they're great. I actually sponsor a pot belly pig on a uh, sanctuary in Arizona. Um, and it is called Ironwood Pig Sanctuary. It's the largest pot-bellied pig sanctuary I've visited a couple of times. Um, and they are pretty incredible. So my pot-bellied pig's name is Nick. And I got him because my nephew Nicholas lives nearby and has, in fact, visited the sanctuary with me. So I'm hoping after COVID they will actually get to hang out together, my two Nicks. Um... They're amazing. <laughs> Potbelly, you know, and potbelly pigs are potbelly pigs are really interesting. Um, they they do definitely um, straddle that line between companion animal. There was a big like uh, trend in the eighties to get them as companion animals. Yeah, and yeah. then they got much bigger than people realized, which is how Ironwood wound up with you know four hundred pigs. Um, George Clooney even had a pig. Did you know that for no, many I, years no. he had a potbelly pig that he adored. Um, that stayed with him for years until the pig, you know, passed peacefully, a natural death. Um, but, uh, yeah, he had this pig that he was, you know, was in, was in his home. Um, they're great from a legal standpoint. Um, it gets kind of tricky because depending on where you live, they can be considered livestock. And Uh, so a lot of times what happened with people having to surrender them is they would move to another place where the local ordinance said, no, you can't have them in your homes, they're livestock. Yeah, um, yeah. Or HOAs, HOAs were telling people you have to get rid of your pot-bellied pig. Um, and so those are the, but they are very, they are very lovable and full of oh personality my for sure. I, when I was a trainer years ago, uh, and I used to go into different people's homes, there was a house in Newtown Square, he lived, Peter lived on a farm, and Ben the pot-bellied pig was, 
his pet, and he would come and wag his little tail and greet me at the door. <laughs> and I'd be like, there's Ben, you know? And I never lived on a farm, but I almost, before I met my husband, I almost bought a home next to a farm because I said, oh, I don't want to do take care of it because it's so much work with, with what else I'm doing, but I'm going to live next to him. And then we, we didn't, but we still live near farms. But I just thought it was the coolest thing. Like, he would greet <laughs> me. Like, do you think he knew it was me coming? I mean, he would come to the door, greet me, go off, watch us. Yep, it definitely sounds, I mean, they they really do act a lot like companion animals when you have a dog come running to the door or, you know, the, the cat that loves to, you know, curl into your lap when you're reading a book. Yeah. Um, are they smart? Pigs. Like, you know, your seer pigs are really smart. Are they really smart? I, I, I can't, you know, I don't, I haven't talked to scientists about them, but I can tell you from personal experience that the ones that I've interacted with have been very smart. I know regular pigs are are very intelligent. Um, I've seen things that say they're more intelligent than dogs. Um, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know exactly where pot-bellied pigs fit into that, but I every time I've had interactions with them, they uh, they seem to know what's going on. They're all, you know, they know what <laughs> yeah. they want to do and they know who you are. So it's, yeah. it's pretty wonderful. Um, I was at uh, Best Friends Animal Sanctuary in Kanab, Utah, which is a beautiful place. And they do mostly dogs and cats. They're all about trying to get the United States to be no kill by 2025. And they are very excitingly on track to meet that. Um, so most people that have heard of them know of them as a dog and cat place, but they actually do have a bunch of potbelly pigs on their sanctuary. And I remember working a shift as a volunteer at the potbelly pig section one day and my husband and I decided we would take them for a walk. They were not on leashes, but they stayed together. And we just kind of trailed around the grounds with them. And it was wonderful. They all stayed together. They were all full of personality, very happy to be going for a walk. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, really cute, really, really cute. All right, so I have to ask, we need to go back. What got you into this? Did you grow up on a farm in Jersey? No, I certainly did not grow up on a farm. Uh, I grew up right outside New York City. I was a show business kid. Uh, oh. You know, no, no farms happening in my life back then. Um, but um, you know, I'm a city girl through and through. But um, I, I moved out after graduate school. My parents had retired out to Tucson, and. I decided that I hadn't lived anywhere near them since I left for college and, and I wanted to spend some time with them as an adult. And so I would move out there um, for a period of time. Um, and, and I actually put a cap on, I said six to 10 years I would go out there. Um, and I was just finishing up a second graduate degree, which I was getting at NYU in organizational, industrial organizational psychology, which is psychology applied to the workplace. So I was very into creativity training and employee well-being, these kinds of things. And when I got out to Tucson, um, I was, you know, I, I did some, I actually did a year of doctoral work at the University of Arizona in that area. But then I decided I really wanted to start my own organization and put the stuff that I knew into practice. And so I opened up a yoga center. I opened up a yoga center and we had programs offsite extending throughout the metropolitan area. Um, hospitals and schools, everything. Love and 
Yeah, it was really, I mean, I call it, it lyric yoga and wellness, but I still refer to even my, my instructors who work for me. We are the lyric family. We had a, we were all about, you know, getting the families to do yoga together. And it was just a really special time. Um, and after the first like three years where, you know, when you start a business, it's pretty much a 16 hour a day job nonstop. And, you know, a testament to my staff, I got to the point where I didn't have to spend 16 hours a day anymore yeah. on it. And um, I thought, you know, more and more about the, my service, you know, my, the service piece of my life. And, and certainly in any yoga practice, we talk about service as well. And it just seemed more and more like I was gravitating toward doing something more with animals. And I didn't know what that was exactly. And so before I, you know, plunged in, uh, I said to myself, well, you know, maybe it would be helpful to know what the laws are actually about animals. And I went on Amazon and I bought um, a, a used animal law book, like the law school book that's called Animal Law. And, um, you know, a big chunk of a book. And, and that yeah. was my summer reading. So I'm bringing this law book with me to the beach. And... Um, <laughs> It was all marked up with, you know, as law students will know, like multiple colored highlighters, you know, like everything, you know, for some kid who took an exam using that right. book. And um, about 150 pages in, I really started to come to the uh, realization that there were not very many laws and that the laws that were written, many of them were not written well. And so there were a lot of loopholes. Gotcha. And, you know, especially being a, for, you know, a writer, uh, it seemed to me that that was where I could probably take some of my other stuff out of my toolkit and use it on behalf of the animals. And so very quietly, uh, I applied to law school. I didn't even tell my husband, we were in Tucson. I still owned the business. So I said, I'm gonna apply to University of Arizona's law school. And if I get in and if they give me a scholarship, I'm gonna go. And then my husband called me one day from work and said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm reading an award letter from the University of Arizona. Woohoo! And he said to me, because we had, you know, in passing, I, 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 you know, said something about, you know, oh, well, maybe I'll do this. He's like, you didn't. I was like, yeah, we'll well, let's discuss it. Let's discuss it over dinner. <laughs> let's and, discuss um, it. Let's discuss it. And so we discussed it. And, um, you know, it was very much a, um, a family endeavor. He was very supportive. At the time, um, uh, we just lost uh, our oldest canine kid, Pushkin, but we still had the other two. And uh, Otis and Galileo got me through law school and, you know, kept me with perspective, you know, sometimes 930 at night, I'd be doing homework still and I'd look down at my feet and there'd be literally a half a dozen dog toys that Galileo had come one at a time, mm. bringing them dropping at my feet, like reminding me, hey, mom, okay, balance, you know, time yes. to yes, <laughs> yes. Has got play time, it's me time. And, um, and yeah, so that's, that's, uh, it was a group effort. Um, and uh, even though Galileo and Otis are now in heaven along with Pushkin, um, they are still at the heart of anything good that I do. I really believe mm. that and they inspire me every day. I, 100%, which was leading me to my next question. Why letters to pushkin.com? So Pushkin definitely inspired you. Yes, Pushkin was, Pushkin was my first, um, my first canine kid. Um, and I adopted him when I was still single. And uh, I always say he was—he is the founder of the family, because when I got him, uh, he my eye became a we, 
Um, and that was the beginning of it. Then we had to go find the rest of the family together. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, no, he really, but he really was. Um, he, you know, opened my heart in a way. And uh, like any first um, kid, whether they're, you know, human or non-human, um, they, they have a tremendous amount of patience because it's a lot of trial and error. So they, they help us be better moms and dads to, you know, whoever comes next, I think, um, yeah. kind of figuring yeah. it out. But, um, but yeah, so Letters to Pushkin was born out of when, when he did pass away. It was the first time I experienced profound loss too, because even my grandparents had passed away by the time I was about three years old. So generally speaking, I think everyone will, will experience that first big loss. It's usually going to come in the form of a grandparent or maybe, maybe a companion animal. And so for me, uh, you know, I, I guess I was blessed enough that I, you know, I was in my late thirties, um, by the time I had that come around to me, but it was through him and it was, you know, again, I'm a writer. And so we were coming right up, um, along, uh, Lent. It was, uh, Lent was going to start three weeks after he passed away. And, um, I, you know, I grew up in a, a very, you asked in a farm. No, I grew up in a very Italian American Jersey <laughs> family um and so you know part of that of course was then that i grew up in and i went to catholic school when i was little so i was like well for lent some people give up things but you know when you get older the practice of maybe doing something positive each day for lent you know the days the 40 days between ash wednesday and easter so i said you know for this lent i'm gonna write a letter to pushkin every day until Easter. and i'm gonna and then i'm gonna end it on easter right because like any other you know like a grieving for it to be constructive I think it also has to, there has to be a finite period where it kind of evolves into something that's more sustainable. And so every day I wrote a letter and, you know, letters are different than writing a memorial site or anything because it's like, they're light, you know, I, and I looked forward to it. Sometimes I would put it to the end of the day because I would look forward to it during the day. And generally the letter would be very lighthearted, like, oh, you know, this is what I did today. Or your, your little brother did this <laughs> cute little thing. Um, and, but that's interspersed with, in the meantime, I was ravenous about reading anything I could get my hands on to help me put him in a place where I knew he could be peaceful and happy. Um, so I was reading everything from the Bhagavad Gita to, uh, you know, uh, seven people you're likely to meet in heaven. Uh, you know, like what I just like anywhere I could get it from all religions or just regular literature, secular literature. And, and so the letters would be interspersed with that as well. You know, my kind of trying to weave together something out of all of these different influences that could help me, you know, do this and grieve. And, um, and uh, so I wrote these letters and at the end of it, the last one is very hopeful. And it's as a, as a, a very raw document, they're handwritten letters. Um, a lot of ups and downs, you know, grieving is not linear. You know, you don't see it getting better. You see it getting a little bit less and then all of a sudden I have a bad day and then, you yes. know, like whatever. Um, and uh, I found it really helpful. And so after that process was over, I said to my husband, who is a, a computer person, I said, you know, I said, how, would, how difficult would it be to, to create a website where other people could write letters and to that, to their own animals? Yes. I think that's a, even more than creating like some tribute website. I said, I want to create a space where if people want to do it, that they, they can. And the English, you know, the, the former English teacher and me, like if you visited it before you write your letter, uh, you know, here's some things to think about. Like, I don't just send you out, you know, to see with nothing, you know? So 
a little prompting, and then you can either share your letter online or you can keep it totally private or you can mail a link and it's only available to your family and friends that you decide to share it with. Um, so total, and it's a free space. There's no comments, right? So it's, it's totally safe. And I, you know, it was totally word of mouth. I didn't know what was going to happen, but we put it up there with a little story pushkin and some pictures. And over the years, it's been amazing. We've had so many people write letters. People write to me and say, I'm not ready to write a letter, but just reading and knowing that other people get the depth of my grief has been helpful. People write letters to dogs, cats, ferrets, horses, fish. Um, they write letters to animals that passed away last night. And then also animals that passed away 20 years ago that they grew up with. Um, wow. So it's literally become this wow. ongoing document of how animals are family members. And they're more than, you know, in the yes. law, they're still considered property. Yeah. They still, they have property status and they're treated like property. And so the, here it's just, and it's just, and then there's a Facebook page that's more like a support system where people do comment to, and, and encourage other people, you know, like, Hey, you know, we get it. We understand. Um, but it's, yeah, just totally. And like, it'll get quiet. And then all of a sudden somebody will contact me, you know, whether it's a Toronto newspaper or a military television station from overseas that wants to do an interview and then people more people hear about it yeah. so what a great um, idea i love that i love it, really, it it's his you know it's a it's a wonderful thing that turned out that way but i always yeah. say i'm just sharing his spirit his spirit was too big to not share mm. you know so i'm, I'm laughing here because i just <laughs> i have to turn in my next book to my publisher tomorrow it's due right but <laughs> i have a dedication at the beginning of my book and my last, my first book, I mentioned some people, but I felt like, Sharon, like I got, I forgot some people and they got their feelings hurt. So mm. on my, on my second book, my dedication, you know, was to my higher power, to my family and friends, but I didn't mention any individual names except for at the end, I say, oh, I almost forgot my dog Dawson, my buddy, my pal, my sidekick in life, the one who truly listens and gets me. Right. But I didn't mm -hmm. say family and friends. Well, all anybody remembered is you dedicated your book to your dog. And I said, yes, I did. Yes, I did. I absolutely, Dawson sits next to me, knows when I'm frustrated, listens to me endlessly, goes on walks with me. I absolutely did. And some of the family members were horrified. But yeah. I stick by it, Sharon. Dawson... Yes through everything as far as, but not that my family and friends don't love me, but he was there for me and he's still there for me, you know? Yes, so yes. I think it's funny. They're I like, call them, call them, I call them like, you know, the co-writers, um, you know, curled up under my desk or, yes. um, you know, they are there and uh, it, yeah. Yeah, it is funny. It is funny. But you know what? Just earlier today, I have another friend who's finishing up. Um, she's co-writing a chapter for a book that's coming out and, uh, they, she and her co-writer were talking about, you know, kind of jokingly that they were going to, you know, give uh, credit to their cats, their two cats, yeah, you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, they're showing pictures of the cats on the laptop. I mean, cause you know, cause cats can be really, they're just like, they're on the laptop. It's so yes, funny. Absolutely. The I see of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, you know, I think that that's, you know, that's true. Uh, you know, a lot of people feel that way. And I believe there are pro some pretty prominent authors in the past also that have done that. So I think that uh, you oh, are good. in good company. <laughs> well, just so you know, 
full disclosure, I did on this book put out some names of people that really were beside me on this, you know, next journey. But at the end, it's still, I mentioned my five cats, each one of their names and Dawson again, because we had three cats and my son and I, while my husband was away this summer, we didn't go. We adopted two baby kittens that were abandoned under, you know, their porch, their mommy mm. wasn't there. And even though we already had three cats, we're like, she's like, can't you take some? I'm like, yeah. So we took in Tamaki and Mojo, he's called. Well, they, <laughs> well, they sit on my head. Like they'll come up because they're little. Yeah. They're so tiny. And while I'm reading, they'll be, like you said, they'll start typing for me across the keyboard. And they're on top of my head. So I am, the final say does go to the animals. They held the biggest spot, Sharon. You're right. That's the way it is, you know? Because <laughs> Listen, they make you, you smile. Know, they make they you do. Smile. And the COVID, you know, with, with the pandemic, one of the first things that happened here in New York City, but, you know, throughout the country was people flocked to the animal shelters. Mm. Um, and they were pretty much emptied, um, you know, nationwide. Wow. Um because I think people, you know, just, well, a part of it was, oh, I've always wanted one and now I'm going to be home, you know? So it is, yes. it's more convenient that way. But I think that part of it was absolutely that people were like, this is, this going to be tough times. I'm going to be home and I need this kind of love and companionship. And, um, you know, I've seen it here, even with my neighbors in the building with their own animals, um, yes. you know, really you know, and, and they're loving being at home more and, you know, having that time, you know, with their dog or with their oh, cat. Oh, yeah, they love it. The do- I don't know about yeah. the cats. They're kind of like, yeah, could you go away now? <laughs> <laughs> I need my alone time, please. Yeah, what my, dog's in, my dog's in heaven. Well, Sharon, this has been so much fun. I wish I could just keep talking to you, but we have to wrap it up. So I have to go for rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I am ready. Fire yeah, because I had like 50 million more questions, but we'll just have Thank to bring you, you back so on. Much. Yeah, we'll have <laughs> to bring you back on because it's just been delightful. And I think you've shed a lot of light on different things. All right, here we go. Easy peasy. Favorite color? Favorite color right now is yellow. Favorite food? Favorite food? Spinach salad. Really? Sharon? I have, I'm telling you, I have- Not ice cream, spinach salad. Whenever whenever I go around the world, when I go to a restaurant, there's a spinach salad on the menu, and now I have to veganize it uh, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, But that's my, that's, I, they used to have to hide the spinach from me when I was really little, like a toddler. I wanted the whole thing if my mom put a big thing. I love spinach, so spinach salad's always a treat for me. Good for you. All right, morning, (laughs) morning tonight, what would one of your favorite days look like from waking up to going to bed? It doesn't mm. matter. It doesn't have to be now, just in general. What would it look, look like? I always love when I have the opportunity to wake up to the, a view of a lake. Mm. Um, the water is very peaceful. Um, certainly getting outside um, during the day um, for a long walk. Um, not necessarily alone either. Um, either with animals or with a family member is really nice. I enjoy conversations like that. Um, I would say I love just movement. So for me, it would be somewhere later in the day, um, preferably with people, actually, I would love to practice <laughs> yoga, practice yoga or take a dance class. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention a dance class because I haven't had a, a legitimate dance class. I haven't been in a dance studio now 
in so long, right? So I, I started you. it. I started at two and a half. You know, I was still in diapers the first time I walked into a dance studio room. So I'm really missing that out of my life right now. Um, a good meal and a good book um, is is pretty much my ideal. Um, and then sounds good conversation. Fab. Sounds yeah. fabulous. I, I would take that day. Yeah, absolutely. And a little dancing around the living room if I didn't get to a dance class. I really, I, I just, um, for me, that's one of the things that I enjoy most with, with my friends or on my own. <laughs> you do know I was a dance major, Sharon. No, I didn't know that. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I went to school. I went up to Montclair College because I wanted to make it on Broadway. Oh, but I, I know Montclair. Yeah, and uh, mm-hmm. but that's a whole other podcast. But I oh, love yes. that you do it. And I do things on social media that are goofy called dance reset, trying to get everybody every hour to get up and dance just for a minute or two. Yeah, it's fun. Okay, but back to what you're doing here. Tell us one thing that we may not know about you that you can share or you're willing to share. One thing that, uh, well, so, well, I was gonna say, well, so uh, I guess in the early 80s, um, back in dance competition days, I did win a national tap dance championship. Really? Um, to other people, yeah. So uh, I'm I'm still a tapper. In fact, I, I have a, I have portable tap dance floors that I'll pull out when my neighbors downstairs are not here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's tricky, right? Well, Sharon, we have a lot more in common. That was my favorite thing. I toured and won a lot of awards with tap dancing, and now oh, I, I like love it. like hoofing. Hopefully. Yeah. But anyhow, yeah, I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. So moving forward, do you have any guilty pleasures or show that you binge watch or do you watch Netflix or Hulu or anything? Um, so I, 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 there was a long period of time where I didn't own a television, so I'm not exactly in the habit of watching TV very often. So I usually watch, I will commit to one show at a time right now. Um, my husband and I are loving, we watched, um, long way up, which was Ewan McGregor and his best friend motorcycling, um, all the way from the tip of down by Argentina, all the way up, going up through to Los Angeles. What, what's and that one? I've never heard of it. That is, oh my goodness. Is it on Hulu or is it Netflix? Okay. One like, of those. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So anyway, but that's recent. That just, that just aired. So we went back because they did their first one together in 2004 and then a second one in 2007. So we watched 2004, which is long way round. That was the first one where he had it in his head that he was going to, they're on motorcycles. They go around the world, basically. And most of it's through Siberia. It seems like, Ooh. um, the second one that we're on now is long way down and they started in scotland and they're going mm. all the way to south to cape town i and can't it's wait pretty i'm incredible. excited i'm excited it's pretty incredible it's, it's really kind of interesting um because it really shows their friendship yeah and it's it's in conjunction with unicef so they stop off at these places off the beaten path places um and it's a rough road i mean a lot of times they're not even on roads with their motorcycles but um they're really engaging with the local communities and and that's um that's that's the it, it's re- it's a real treat to watch oh i'm excited i'm excited i have a new show okay when i say the word universe what does it mean to you universe, universe. um universe for me 
means uh, well my father's an astronomer so uh wow. i think about the constellations i think about m13 and all the nebula and stuff that i've seen um the expansion when i think of universe i think expansive and i yep. think about inter and i think about interconnectedness i think about how we are all interconnected and we are all we are all spiritual beings in human bodies and animal bodies and you know, in trees, everything's alive and everything's alive yeah. and breathing. The universe to me means breath. Got it, love it. All right, Sharon, well, we have to go, but for my let's keep it real people, how can they reach you? Or is there any cause, you know, you want them to uh, look online or any way or anything? Um, you know, I would just um, say you can, you know, you're certainly welcome to reach me um esq at gmail um i welcome uh people to reach out to me um i would also encourage them uh i will say letters to pushkin.com is Good. totally word of mouth and um know that it's there for you if you need it now or someday or if you come across someone who is grieving for a companion animal um please share it with them it's totally free um and it's really just um it totally depends on word of mouth. So just know that it's there as a source for anyone who needs it for comfort and healing. Love it. All right, Sharon, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on our show. So many tidbits, so much amazing information and a lot to think about. So I appreciate your time. It's really, well, really special to me. Well, thank you so much again for inviting me here today and for having this conversation um and all the talk we did about animals too i know that some of it can be uncomfortable for people because it's you know we're asking for changes we're asking people to rethink how we consider our relationships with animals and and our responsibilities towards them so um i feel like we're moving in even in that direction very positive yeah. directions yeah and um you know i want to thank you also for you know sharing that with your listeners and you know what? It, you got the right audience because everyone that listens to the show, they want to make a positive, powerful difference in the world. And they know change can be difficult. So they got your back, Sharon. I know they got your back and you got the right audience. All right. Let's keep it real, people. You know what to do. Share, like, make sure you spread it around to anyone who you think would enjoy this episode, which is going to be so many. We all care. We all want to make a difference. We want to help our furry friends and the farm animals. So go forth and conquer with kindness and love and gratitude. And you know what I'm going to say until next time. Toodles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And remember, keep spreading the positive.